Welcome to Medicana Talk with Dr. Joe Rosado. This program seeks to educate you on topics having to do with medical cannabis. You'll have a better understanding of the industry, insight, and guidance on how cannabis is a safe and important innovation in medicine today. Now, here is your host, Dr. Joe Rosado. Hello, world. This is Dr. Joseph Rosado coming to you live from beautiful Ormond Beach, Florida, where today, thank goodness, we do not have a hurricane lurking about. Um, Today, uh, we're missing one of our team members, our primary sponsor from Cannabidiol Life, Mr. Chris Visser. He had a very serious and uh, severe family emergency, and so our thoughts and prayers go out to him. Nonetheless, the show must go on. Therefore, we have our other usual sidekick, Mr. Ed Pisani, Pisani, Ed Pisani, (laughs) too many V's and P's. It's an Italian uh, name. Everyone just adds letters. It's all good. (laughs) I, I, for advertising, go for it, Ed. Hey, good morning, world. I'm glad to be here. Good afternoon, world. I'm glad to be here. Good evening, world. I'm glad to be here. I have no idea what time you're listening to us, but thank you for listening. Outstanding. Well, as usual, we're going to start out with my typical introduction for today's topic, which is, is medical marijuana really safe for my child or your child? Uh, I can I cannot speak for your child. I'll speak for mine. Okay. Anyway, here we go. So over the past several years, medical marijuana use has become a controversial topic, not, not only within the medical community, but also at state and national legislative levels, which we've discussed uh, over the past, what, uh, two and a half months? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've been going marijuana, heavy into it. Yeah, although marijuana and its derivatives are currently a Schedule One substance, meaning it has no medicinal value, quote unquote, and has a high level of addiction, and they equate it to heroin, crystal meth, um, LSD, etc., uh, and this is per the uh, Federal Controlled Substances Act, uh, many states have relaxed their legislation to allow the use of medical cannabis. Each state has the right to do what it needs to do. More recently, however, the use of cannabidiol or CBD, which we've discussed again throughout the, you know, the beginning of the show, products in pediatrics has sparked additional debate the pediatric providers have started encountering patients experimenting with daily practice. Parents are sick and tired of their children being on certain medications that they don't want their children to be on and have explored and practiced with the use of over-the-counter CBD. Necessitating an understanding of the history and available medical literature on this topic, which we're going to be discussing quite extensively. As we have discussed throughout the beginning of the show, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol or Delta 9 THC. That's a $5 word, Dr. Rosado. I'm just saying. It <laughs> certainly is. The cannabinoid most commonly associated with marijuana as a drug of abuse, quote unquote, is euphoric, meaning it gives you the sensation of feeling high. Mm-hmm. And other cannabinoids, including CBD, which we have also discussed, are not uh, euphoric. Uh, Certain studies have shown that THC has been linked to the development of schizophrenia and a contributor to neurodevelopment or the development of the brain and the nervous system deficiency or or deficits specifically in adolescence and into early adulthood. 
different cannabis chemovars or strains as some people call them will have varying amounts of both THC and CBD as we have also discussed and thus the concentrations and ratios of these different cannabinoids within a product especially for pediatric use has been a subject of interest not only for medical professionals and parents but also for state legislators as well so Ed, I'm going to quiz you today. Did you st- did you put on your thinking cap? I, I read Wikipedia, but that's oh, I'm going to slap. Fire away. I'll, I'll do my best at answering these questions. If anything, like the uh, listening audience, will have a good laugh at my expense. All right. Well, here we go. <laughs> Dating back as far as 2000 BC, which we discussed on the first episode of the show. Dating back as far as 2000 BC, what had been used for various medicinal and industrial purposes? I'm going to go with hemp plants. That's my final answer, Dr. Rosado. You don't want to call a friend? I, I wish I could, but no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> well, you are 100% correct. The correct answer is hemp plants. Nice. So, very good. That's right. Back up to 2000 years. Remember, Cannabis was discovered approximately 3,000 BC um, in Asia, and there's uh, hieroglyphics depicting the use of cannabis as a medicine. Now, when did the United States Pharmacopeia, or the USP, uh, classify marijuana as a legitimate medical compound, and many physicians supported its use for conditions such as epilepsy, chronic migraines, and pain? Uh, this is going to be a tough one because I know back in the 1700s, our founding fathers liked to smoke marijuana. So it had to be after that. But I know in like the 1960s, like there was a whole like hippie movement and like that marijuana was not legal. So I'm going to guess it had to be like in the 1850s, somewhere in there. Yeah. Mid 1800s. Excellent. Exactly. You've, you've been listening to our previous shows. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> now, what happened when phenobarbital and phenytoin, which are two seizure medications, came to the market in the early 1900s? What did Wikipedia say on this question, sir? Barbie was created. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, Scooby-Doo uh, running out of a van. Uh, no, the oh. use of marijuana-based products declined because oh, man. newer medications came from the uh, big pharmaceutical industries, and as a result, the use of cannabis went down and the use of phenobarbital and phenytoin went up. Interesting. Now, this, this next question you should remember because you've heard me lecture this and we talked about it on the show. Marijuana soon became labeled as a drug of abuse and to discourage its use, when did Congress pass the Marijuana Tax Act, which was in, um, instigated by Mr. Harry Aislinger? Okay, I know it happened after Prohibition, so it was like in the 1930s, but it was before World War II, so I'm going to say it was 1937. Perfect. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Hey, see, I think I'm, 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 I'm listening. I'm listening. That's good. It's good. <laughs> anyway, uh, now, what did this Marijuana Tax Act do? 
Uh, it it taxed. Uh, it it made a very very high tax on cannabis and hemp uh, use products for industrial purposes. I I, re, I I learned about this actually when I was in college because hemp rope is made and it became prohibitive for some companies to actually make hemp rope because it was being deemed uh, like some sort of like cannabis. So it 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 actually killed a lot of industries and uh, wasn't good for the economy. Now, interesting that you mentioned that because shortly after this Marijuana Tax Act was passed in 1937, both the American Medical Association and the physicians back in the late 30s, early 40s believed in the medical efficacy of cannabis, marijuana. But as a result of this, what happened? Do you remember? Uh... Hmm. This is tough. I, I, I think uh, I think we elected a new president, and uh, he was he was pro cannabis. Uh, I wish <laughs> all cannabis preparations were removed from the United States Pharmacopeia and the National Formulary because of the high taxation. Big Pharma was not going to pay a high tax for a medication that was considered, you know, illegal, and the devil's lettuce and so as a result of that by implementing the high taxation they veered away from that i have now, a question um you yeah, you said like a national formulary is that like some sort of secret society of cannabis but what is that no it's the masonic brotherhood no. <laughs> <laughs> it says one Masonic brother to another yeah uh, no a national formulary is implemented and instilled in that these are the medications that are recognized and approved for physicians to write prescriptions on okay so that's kind of like uh like when someone that does internal medicine like yourself needs to like like this is where they go this is like mommy right. sort of yeah the, yeah these are the, the the medications that are approved for prescribing nice now there are two entities that have reaffirmed their opposition to the legalization of medical and recreational cannabis use outside of any U.S. Food and Drug Administration regulatory process. What are those two entities? Uh, one is the American Academy of Pediatrics because of course I, because I, they're against everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm learning that I have like a six year old, so it's kind of enjoyable. And I think the other one I'm just going to take a wild guess is the American Marketing Association. I'll try the Medi American Medical Association, same AMA, <laughs> but, it's American, but it's medical. Which you see the discrepancy in in today's day and age, 21st century. The American Medical Association opposes the legalization of medical cannabis and recreational cannabis. However, in the late 30s, early 40s, the AMA was in favor of cannabis. Hmm. Funny how things have changed in, what, 50 years? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how everything ebbs and flows. Yeah, it's just like it's it's amazing because you go from one extreme to the other. I think eventually we're going to have that um, swing go back. My question to you, because I have like a six year old daughter. She's about to turn seven today. Actually, her her mom took her over to the P 
pediatric uh, for her like annual physical. Um, mm-hmm. They plan on her being taller in the future. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> with a father that's what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all, all kidding aside, like, what's the um, American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for the use of uh, marijuana, cannabis, medically, or, or like recreationally for that matter? Um, is it possible that they're pro-recreational use for my six-year-old? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. No. Um, back, back in 2017, in the Journal of Pediatric Pharmacology Theory, um, or Therapeutics, I'm sorry, the Journal of Pediatric Pharmacology Therapeutics, um, an article was published, and this, is, this comes directly from the American Academy of Pediatrics website, which reads as follows. Research and development should be conducted of pharmaceutical cannabinoids. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends changing marijuana from a DEA Schedule 1 to a DEA Schedule 2 to facilitate this research, which is very open-minded and very broad and very amazing that they are willing to support the descheduling or changing the schedule from a Schedule 1 where it reads no medicinal value, highly addictive to a Schedule 2 which equates those medications such as hydrocodone, um, oxycodone, hydromorphone, hydrocodone, etc. So, you know, the same level as an opiate. So that's, that's very innovative. Uh, the next point that they make is the federal and state governments should establish robust health surveillance regarding the impact of marijuana, particularly on children and adolescents. Because by descheduling it from one to two, the federal and state governments would be able to establish these things. Hmm. In, in third point, in states that have legalized marijuana for recreational use, the American Academy of Pediatrics strongly recommends strict enforcement of rules and regulations that limit access, marketing, and advertising to youth. Very similar to what they did with uh, cigarettes back in the 70s where they stopped um, all form of advertising, both in uh, TV, you know, all types of media, printed media, as well as uh, radio and television. Yeah, that actually uh, created a lot of unemployment in uh, North Carolina, other tobacco states. Um, right. Very devastating. In, yeah, and right now they're moving, those states are moving in the direction of growing hemp. So there, there you have it. Um, the fourth point, where marijuana is sold legally, either for medicinal or recreational purposes, it should be contained in a child-proof packaging to prevent accidental ingestion, which, of course, that makes perfect sense because they do that with Tylenol, ibuprofen, so even your over-the-counter medications are in a child-proof package. Same thing would stand true for this, so that that's common sense and very reasonable. And the last point the American Academy of Pediatrics brings up is uh, they discourage adults from using marijuana in the presence of children because of the influence of role modeling by adults on child and adolescent's behavior. I wonder if they have this same position with tobacco and tobacco and cigarette smoking or alcoholic beverages. 
you as a dad are you aware of that uh no i just know uh a six-year-old drinking alcohol i would consider to be bad um just <laughs> I, I mean like uh but I, I know there's some um cultures where you put a little alcohol in the gums to help them stop crying um i also think uh smoking uh cigars as a six-year-old is not exactly seen as a a good parenting um to, uh, thing to do like but when I was uh, when I was young, younger, and I was like my wife was pregnant, we went to a hospital, and in the course of like what seemed to be like an hour and a half course, they taught me how to be a parent, um, and I, I'm 100 percent certain they they did not recommend that I let my uh, uh, you know my my little baby kind of get a nipple on like a Colt 45 malt liquor bottle, like that just seems like yeah. never the, came the up. Real- yeah, but the point is, you know, you not doing it in front of your child. So does the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend that you not smoke a cigar in front of your child or not have a, a glass of wine with your dinner? I think the answer is yes. I don't think they want me to be because it's not good for the child's lungs. Um, and role modelship, it's not very good um, as a role model. But then again, you know, like uh, people are going to do what they're going to do. I mean, you could tell parents don't don't have a, a drink with dinner in front of your child. But like, is the parent really going to take that in consideration? Um, and so I, I know uh, that's not always the case. True. Anyway, well, moving on. All right. I have a PSA and Dr. Rosado. Um, I am a terrible linguistic, so I'm going to say some pretty big words. Here's what I'm going to do. This is a challenge for our listeners. Are you ready? The, Go for it. The first five people that can spot the word that I'm going to slaughter gets a free copy of your book, Hope and Healing, A Case for Medical Cannabis, on me. So, But it's the first five listeners that reach out to you. They have to go to Joseph Rosado. Um, Dot com, com and, or info at josephrosadomd.com. And they have to reach out to you. They have to be like, Dr. Rosado, um, Ed slaughtered this word. And the first five listeners that do that get a book, and they can read that, your book. That's so, a great gift. It, it is, because I'm a terrible speaker, and <laughs> it, it no, gets... You do really well. Your, lingui- your linguistic skills leave much to be desired, but you... <laughs> But you speak very well. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't read worth a damn. So uh, a- anyway, so I'm going to read this PSA, and uh, everyone's going to have a nice opportunity to, to smile and call you up or email you almost immediately. They're going to be Googling your your info probably as I'm talking. The debate, All right, go for it. The debate about the use of cannabinoid products in pediatric patients has persisted owing to the lack of well-developed and published randomized controlled trials. There has been a wide variety of mostly case series and international studies for adult indications such as chronic pain, MS, headache, and various neuropsychiatric disorders which are beyond today's show. The MS is multiple sclerosis for those that are unfamiliar with MS. See, I, I slipped one in where I didn't have to say a big word. 
go team. <laughs> the uh, pediatric literature lacks the same breadth owing to public stamina and restrictions on stigma. In- public stigma. Boom! Someone's gonna someone's gonna get a free book. Whoever's listening. I think that's my second or third one that I've kind of jacked up so far. Yeah, you jacked up cannabinoids. Oh, I'm giving the answers. I got to shut up. (laughs) On investigational use, this has resulted in retrospective and parentally reported data in epilepsy and behavioral conditions. Despite the overall lack of published data on CBD in pediatric patients, most of the literature is devoted to its use in epilepsy. Lar- can current large prospective trials underway for different epilepsy indications and recent animal studies researching use in perinatal brain injury and neuroblastoma may open new avenues to consider cannabinoids for pediatrics. My goodness, that was an amazing public service announcement. <laughs> we, we should do that at every episode where you just have me say these big words <laughs> and give books away. <laughs> let's, take, let's, take the, let's take those two paragraphs and break them down. That sounds good. All right. So there has been a debate about the use of cannabinoid products. So any products that come from, whether it be hemp or cannabis, in the use of pediatric patients and it's persisted owing to the lack of well-developed and published randomized controlled trials which is what the american academy of pediatrics has mentioned by descheduling cannabis from schedule one to schedule two it would allow for these research studies to take place and us to get a better grasp and understanding of how they work in the human body Uh, there have been a wide variety of case theories and international studies for adult indications for, as we mentioned, chronic pain, multiple sclerosis, headaches, and various nerve and psychiatric disorders, which are beyond today's show because we're not going to be talking about that. We've talked about a few of those in the in previous shows. But as with everything, you know, the United States believes that they are, you know, the next best thing since life spread, even though they are the youngest country in the world um, <laughs> say it ain't so say it ain't so <laughs> and Israel has been at the forefront of you know these clinical trials and studies you know from the mid 60s on and one company has you know observed 20,000 patients which is phenomenal and they've got all sorts of literature on adults and pediatric patients um, you know pediatric literature obviously is lacking uh, in the United States because of the stigma and restrictions as well as other parts of the world because they are afraid of what can happen to a child because of the studies that have been done showing uh, the fear of schizophrenia and psychiatric disorders for children uh, and adolescents and into early adulthood. Now, despite the overall lack of the published data on CBD in pediatric patients, most of the literature is devoted to the use of CBD in epilepsy. And if any of you watched or saw the program uh, Weed on CNN, where Sanjay Gupta uh, went to Colorado and interviewed the parents of Charlotte, 
which we will be discussing further in today's show after the break, um, you'll learn and see how extensive the research is regarding epilepsy. Uh, current large pr prospective trials are underway for different epilepsy indications, as well as animal studies researching the use in perinatal brain injury. We'll define what that is after the break. Mm -hmm. And neuroblastoma, which is a very common uh, tumor of the nervous system in children, mm. which can and will open new avenues uh, for the use of cannabinoids in pediatric patients. So, before the break, since Chris is not here, please provide Chris's information. Absolutely. If you want to call his company, the number is 833-YEAH-HEMP. His, uh, <laughs> I just love that. His uh, website is cbdoilsandedibles.com. Or if you want, you can also reach Dr. Joseph Rosado at josephrosadomd.com. And you can give him a phone call at 866-763-7991. And both of them will be able to help you get better answers than I possibly could give about CBD. I, I know I am learning, but uh, you guys are light years ahead of me. And you're the experts. So I just And if you guys want to reach out to us via email, you can reach Chris at chris at cannabidiollife.com. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at C-A-N-N-A-B-I-D-I-O-L-L-I-F-E dot com. And mine, info at josephrosadomd.com. And after the break, we will be discussing and talking about medical cannabis indications for children suffering with epilepsy, behavioral conditions such as ADD, ADHD, autism, etc., perinatal brain injury, and neuroblastoma, which is a brain tumor. Ed, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, this is an amazing episode. Being a parent, I'm really excited about the next segment. Perfect. So uh, without further ado, we'll take a break, and we will get back with you guys after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Dr. Joseph Rosado was the first medical professional to recommend medical cannabis treatment in the greater central Florida region. He has since become a sought-after medical cannabis expert in Florida and abroad. Learn his story and find out more about Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo, as well as through the website josephrosadomd.com. You can also schedule an individual or group consulting session with Dr. Rosado. That's josephrosadomd.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You're listening to Medicana Talk. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to info at josephrosadomd.com. Now, back to Medicana Talk. 
Hello world, Dr. Rosado back from the break on Medicana Talk with Dr. Joseph Rosado. Uh, today we are short our usual sidekick, Mr. Chris Visser, uh, and primary sponsor from Cannabidiol Life, CBD Oils and Edibles.com. Uh, he had a major family emergency and our thoughts and prayers go out to him. But as always, my brother from another mother, Mr. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Ed Pizzani from I4 Advertising is with me today. Ed, say hello to our folk that have just come back from the break. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And my, my prayers go out to uh, Chris and his family right now. I just want to say that real quick. Um, and uh, thank you for having me be on the show, uh, Dr. Rosado. I have some questions for you. Um, oh, of course you do. I bombarded you the first half of the show. Now you're <laughs> going to bombard me. <laughs> Payback is always wonderful, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> see how I made that like not so colorful? Um, <laughs> uh, the data in pediatric epilepsy have been surrounding the use of CBD products as well as THC and CBD products from private dispensaries. Um, True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's more of a statement, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. The, the first question they have is, uh, there was a review, a Cochrane review was conducted back in 2012 to assess the safety and, uh, uh, if, if, I can't even pronounce the word, uh, of cannabinoid uh, to use their patients uh, with ep- epilepsy. The authors uh, included blinded and unblinded randomized controlled trials. Only four studies met the criteria including one abstract and one letter to the editor, Dr. Rosado. Would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you explain, uh, please, the results of this review? Okay, sure. So in 2012, they just did a randomized review of studies that, that were out there um, showing the efficacy and how well cannabis truly worked. And so they, they did come up with four studies. One, um, the first study that they discussed and found was Dr. Mishulam, Dr. Rafael Mishulam, who I've uh, acknowledged in in my book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis, and his right-hand man, his assistant in in, uh, research, Dr. uh, slash Professor uh, Lumir Hanoush, who wrote the foreword to my book, uh, conducted this study. And it was a study a very small sample size, only nine patients with uncontrolled temporal lobe epilepsy. Temporal lobe are the lobes in the brain that sit on either side of, um, of your skull. So the temporal lobe are to the right and to the left in and around the area of your ears. So temporal lobe epilepsy who had failed multiple medications and they had divided them into two groups, group one and group two. Group one received CBD 200 milligrams per day mm-hmm. for children, for patients, and the placebo daily group, which was um, five students. And they studied these children for three months. Interesting. In, in group one, two patient seizures were seizure-free for the entire three months, and one patient experienced partial improvement. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but, and in group two, which is the placebo group, as expected, there was no patient improvement. So, 
um, of the four children that were in group one, two were seizure-free and one partial improvement. The fourth child, there's no data on that child. So we are left to assume that there was no improvement. Okay? Okay. And That's in, interesting. In the, in the placebo group, there was zero improvement. So it showed that a certain level of use of cannabis or CBD mm-hmm. was 50% uh, efficient and maybe 66.6% because there was partial improvement. So we would say that about 67% improvement. Gotcha. Roughly speaking. Okay. In the second study, Kuna et al., uh, they studied 15 patients, 11 females and 4 males, with, again, temporal lobe irritative activity in individuals aged between 14 and 49. Okay? Mm-hmm. Divided again into two, two groups. Group 1 received 200 to 300 milligrams of CBD daily. Mm-hmm. That was eight individuals. And in group two, the placebo group, they had seven individuals that received nothing. And this study was done over 18-week period of time. In group one, again, 50% or four of the patients had complete improvement. Wow. In, in group two, 14% uh, of the patients had no comp- no impl- improvement whatsoever. Okay? Okay. I'm sorry. Only one had improvement in the placebo group, which is weird because nothing was given to them. So one of seven had some improvement, had complete improvement. So and just out of curiosity, what is a placebo? Because like I'm not... A placebo is like a sugar pill. It, it has no... It's, it's a blank. It's a dud. Okay. It's a capsule filled with nothing. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Thanks. All right. The third study that was done, uh, that was found rather, 12 institutionalized mentally retarded, and I hope no one is offended, but that is a true medical term. A Mm -hmm. mentally retarded individual is based on IQ definition. Um, So 12 institutionalized mentally retarded patients with frequent seizures were divided into two groups. Uh, Group one received 300 milligrams of CBD daily for one week and then 200 milligrams per day. However, there was no listed number of participants and there was no statistically significant difference in the groups because this was a really poorly done study. And then in the last study that was found, again, 12 patients with incompletely controlled epilepsy, each patient served as his or her own control Mm -hmm. on the following schedule. Three months of normal outpatient epileptics, six months of placebo, and six months of CBD at 100 milligrams three times a day or a total of 300 milligrams per day. And there was really no discernible effect. So you could see that the studies were weak at best mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the lack of numbers, etc. But in those that were uh, studied and observed, they did find anywhere between 50 and 67% improvement. 
So in, in essence, what the Cochrane authors summarized was that a CBD dose of 200 to 300 milligrams per day was safely administered over a short period of time. And the only reasonable conclusion made was that the efficacy of CBD use could not be confirmed, but the rate of adverse reactions in each of the studies was low, indicating that it is a relatively safe and innocuous medication. So what does innocuous mean? Innocuous means no damage, no harm, no foul. So it's it's a, a it's safe to say that it, a dosing of two to three hundred milligrams mm-hmm. of CBD is not going to hurt and can um, was shown to improve in fifty to sixty seven percent of the patients. Now, if you have a child, let's say that is having you know three hundred seizures a day, and by giving them the medication. 50% or one out of two children is going to have complete remission of the seizure and one out that's of amazing. three yeah, that's amazing yeah if one out of three is going to have partial improvement I'll take those odds oh oh yeah I mean like uh, absolutely if I was a parent I'd be like sign me up if, if my child was in pain and dealing with that um, I, I would be writing my congressman like instantaneously about um, what needs to be done to loosen restrictions on this type of medication, or I would move to a place where it was illegal to have, or, or not illegal, but legal to have, and so on and so forth. Um, thankfully, I live in the state of Florida, where that is the case. Of medical cannabis is uh, is legal to use in certain circumstances, from what I understand. Um, so, I have another question for you, Doctor Rosado, and this is going to be a fun one. Uh, the American Academy of Neurology conducted a systematic review in 2014, which so is this was two years later, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, but five years ago, because we're in 2019 now, um, uh-huh. which uh, included 34 studies um, that used medical marijuana to treat MS, epilepsy, and movement disorders. What did the authors conclude on that? I'm glad you brought that study up because you're, we're going to see a lot of things happening now from 2012, every two years, 2014, 2016, and then t- 2018. So in 2014, they reviewed these uh, 34 studies, and they found, of course, that the data was insufficient to support or refute the efficacy of cannabinoids for reducing seizure frequency. So in 2014, they found no data that provided a, a, any truth to the use of cannabis for the management and treatment of seizures. And there is not sufficient evidence to advise patients back in 2014, only five years ago, to use cannabinoid products in epilepsy. So five years ago, no studies, insufficient data, no, no evidence to use this. Now, what happened in 2016? Lo and behold, GW Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. began doing clinical trials, stage two, stage three clinical trials, using a medication mm-hmm. that in 2018 became legal and became a Schedule five medication. Do you remember the name of that medication? 
Ed. Uh, I'm going to go. Ahead butcher, butcher it. Epiledolex. Epidiolex. I see. I was close. Epidiolex. E p i d i o l e x. Epidiolex. So in 2014, there's no data showing that there's efficacy or or um, in any evidence to support that cannabis products have any use for epilepsy. But in 2016, clinical trials were performed in Europe. And in 2018, the FDA approves Epidiolex for the use of two types of seizure activity. And what, what, are, what is that? What, what are the seizure at types? Um, because I'm kind of curious. No, the two types of seizure activities are Dravet syndrome okay. or Lennox, or Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, DS or LGS, Dravet or Lennox-Gastaut. These are children that, as we've mentioned in the past, have on average, anywhere between two and 300 seizures per day, hmm. which is exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting and to like the parents, to the child, to the practitioner that's trying to, to help that child. I mean, everyone must be exhausted. Right, and, it, and you know, it's a condition of what's called status epilepticus. Status epilepticus, epilepticus meaning epilepsy, status meaning constant. So it's a state of constant and continuous hmm. seizure activity. So the child is never seizure-free, quote-unquote. And typically, many of these children are on anywhere between three and five medications to treat their seizure activity. And these children are diagnosed at a very young age, anywhere between two and three months of age, they're diagnosed. So you're talking about a two- to three-month-old child having two to 300 seizures per day, taking three to five medications per day. You know, this is no joke. No, no, it's it's no joke. I mean, like I feel, I feel the pain of the child and the parent because, uh, you know, like you you always look to your parents to sort of have that S on their chest and be the Superman that can make all the pain go away and put a bandaid on your your cut. And like, uh, what I'm hearing is like it's for, forget about going fishing and getting a cut on your fingertip with a little fish hook or something. We're we're like talking um, from the time they're they're born before they can even talk. They're crying because they're having all these seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, like I, I, I just feel for those parents. I, 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 I would never wish to be in that position. Uh, no, it, it's, it's exhausting, again, for both of them. Yeah. So now I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Since you've been asking me questions, what do you think the cost for this new medication that's been approved by the FDA, that it is a Schedule 5, which means that it is, you know, medically useful with minimal chance of dependence or addiction. That's what a Schedule 5 drug means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we discussed that in the second, first or second episode of our series. How much would one year's worth of this medication cost mom and dad? Um. For my little research of any time you want to get something from the federal government, uh, I mean, like get an automatic weapons license uh, is seventy thousand dollars. To get an EpiPen, I think it's like five thousand. So I'm going to say it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm going to say uh, an average starting salary of someone coming out of college is like thirty-two thousand dollars, thirty-five thousand. You got it. it nice. Is, the cost of Epidiolex per year, if you don't have insurance. Is thirty-two thousand dollars now? 
have I get, prescribed this medication? Yes, I've prescribed this medication. And has, how long has it taken for the, ch- the children? Because I've prescribed it for three uh, brothers and sisters. They were all in the same family. And so I prescribed the medication to, mom, to the children to kind of, you know, help mom out. Well, in helping mom out, it took the children seven and a half months to be able to get the medication with, because of all the hoops that we all had to jump through mm-hmm. for the insurance cover, company to cover and then for the pharmacy to dispense. So it's been a major cluster you-know-what. Yeah, but one thing I want to say, Dr. Rosado, is uh, as a parent, thank you for um, trying to help that child. I mean, like, you're, you're kind of the unsung hero um, in this because you, you see uh, the benefit and the potential for making that child's life a little bit better. So thank you from all the parents in the world, uh, speaking on behalf of millions or billions of parents. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But let's do the math. This mom, because she's a single mom, Mm-hmm. has three children. Each one of these children has Gervais syndrome. All of them have the same condition. All of them have the same problem. All of them receive the same medication. If she didn't have insurance, she would be looking at $96,000 per year for medication for all three of her children. Yeah, which would be bankruptcy, right? Right there. I mean, she. Totally. Yeah, I mean, like uh, probably. Um, I don't think she would be able to get it. Um, and e- even in um, our like uh, beautiful country where we have like some sort of pre-existing condition healthcare coverage, um, it, it's still. I mean, like that. That's that's a brutal number. Uh, uh, so I mean, you know. Oh, $90,000 a year is what some people wish to make as a salary in uh, some businesses. Like, uh, you're pretty much middle class if you're making 90000 But, like, that's, like, one or two salaries income. If she's a single parent, then, you know, um, that's not that's not realistic. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. So, so that's a challenge right now. But, you know, a lot of this came, you know, because of the research that that was out there. So at least there's research being conducted. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so let's discuss options. Let's discuss better ways for parents to be able to obtain medication for their children. Yeah. What what is the alternative to over-the-counter stuff? Like, okay. well, what we discussed in the episode Everything you want to know about CBD, but we're afraid to ask, parts mm-hmm. one and two, where Chris was discussing uh, was discussing the products that he has so you know diligently and aggressively looked and worked for and created um, you know over the past two and a half three years, where he created this formulation based out of research that was that occurred in Colorado um, and again as I mentioned earlier from the show weed on CNN mm-hmm. where they had um, you know a child that had been diagnosed uh, three months at three months of age uh, was diagnosed with Dravet syndrome her name was Charlotte and they created a strain or specific chemo bar for her called uh, Charlotte's wet uh, it was created by a group of gentlemen called Stanley Brothers. Mm-hmm. And Stanley Brothers, in creating this product, have uh, supported 
this child to where she experienced a 90% reduction in her seizure activity on a daily basis. So amazing results. Um, and as a result of that, Charlotte's Web is sold over the counter. However, thanks to, um, and thank goodness for the farm bill that was signed in 2018, CBD from hemp can be purchased online, which is what gave Chris the, the drive and the impetus to promote and uh, market cannabidiol life mm -hmm. and create, has created multiple CBD oils um, as well as CBD isolates, different products uh, for conditions similar to what uh, Charlotte had in you know a few years back. So you know, shout out to Chris, you know, who is also a dad of a child, mm -hmm. and his heart was touched once he saw this report, you know, on TV about this child suffering as severely as she was. Yeah, I, I think any parent that like never wants their child to go through that and it's like kind of uh um it you know shows that everyone has a heart so kudos to him for doing this and making this his passion project and making it uh something available for everyone to take advantage of seeing and getting uh getting involved with um so it you know you need those uh, uh those visionaries uh, passionate people to to lead the charge, and he's definitely put together a company that there's a lot of talented people there that are doing some very very good things. So kudos to him, and uh, you know, like I see like him being a pioneer as the uh, years go by, as time goes along. You and him being the pioneers of medical cannabis uh, in the United States, uh, which is kind of exciting to like say like, hey, I'm just having these conversations and these these nice talks but like uh you're probably going to have um wikipedia pages about yourselves down the line and you never know maybe they'll make a movie about you one day <laughs> who, who well, knows started, started, started on wikipedia anyway we've got about uh what seven minutes left so that's the Let's uh, enter into the other topics that we were talk we were going to talk about. So go ahead and butcher some more words. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, regarding behavioral conditions, cannabinoids and CBD in use, patient population is growing interest in social media sites. While the data for these indications are limited to case reports using dronabinoid or marinoloid. Um, Marinol, yeah. Dronabinol, which is a synthetic, that's a synthetic form of THC, and that is a Schedule 3 medication. So a, a synthetic version of cannabis is a Schedule 3, but the whole plant is a Schedule 1. Don't get me started. Continue. <laughs> that is a synthetic form of THC. Some of the benefits of CBD... Yeah on behavior motor skills reported in the aforementioned respective studies in epilepsy may be transferred to this population as well. Is that correct or am I just kind of reading something that's kind of um, hy uh, hyperbole? No, it's true. For example, a, a six-year-old patient with early infant autism received cannabis drops and was titrated up, meaning they, they increased the dose um, from one milligram per day to 3.6 milligrams per day. Mm -hmm. And this child 
had improvements in their hyperactivity, their irritability, their lethargy, um, and in their speech. So it, this was one of the first studies that was done. And then an abstract was published by a, a, a researcher, Kruger et al., mm-hmm. where they reported the effect of, again, the dronabinol, a synthetic THC, in treating self-injurious people, children that injured themselves, mm-hmm. um, in 10, again, mentally retarded adolescents, okay? Their IQs were such that they were uh, diagnosed with being mentally retarded. And they used Marinol, Dronabinol, a dose ranging from 2.5 milligrams twice a day to 5 milligrams four times a day. Hmm. So it ranged from 5 to 20 milligrams per day of this synthetic THC. Seven of the 10 patients, or 70%, had significant improvement in their self-injury behavior mm-hmm. that lasted through their follow-up visit, which was six months later. So for six months, 70% of these children were not biting themselves, hitting themselves, banging their heads on the wall, etc. Two of the 10 patients experienced agitation and the drug was discontinued. Because One, of the two. Yeah, because of the two, it, you know, the medication was discontinued for these two children. There's one child where is uncertain what happened with them, but 70% is a phenomenal oh, uh, yeah. is a phenomenal result. Uh, I, I think then, so. Like, you know, that's like a C in school. <laughs> which most people which most people score so. yeah. <laughs> uh, well th- that's now in Israel they did a, a, a single center so it was one clinic mm-hmm. double blind meaning they didn't know which was placebo which was uh, the medication uh, study using a 20 to 1 CBD to THC ratio okay for children with behavioral problems, specifically autism spectrum disorder. And the study started in 2017. And late last year, uh, they, they, uh, they started with 60 children and then they reproduced the study with 120 children. And that study with 120 children is on the verge of, of being completed. But the initial study with the 60 children, they found that, again, in mid-60% of the children demonstrated amazing results and recovery of the autism spectrum disorder. And, you know, 5 to 10% experienced partial uh, improvement. So, again, it's an, op- an amazing option mm-hmm. for children that are having and experiencing behavioral issues. And we've seen quite a few children with autism spectrum disorder as well as ADD, ADHD using CBD to support their challenges. Nice. Um, So my next question uh, is uh, the brain injury question, the perinatal brain injury. What what is it? Perinatal brain injury is induced by neonatal or newborn asphyxia, meaning lack of oxygen or no oxygen to a child that's born, mm-hmm. or a child that may have suffered a stroke within the the womb of the mother, and that has caused brain tissue and brain death 
of the mm. child, certain portion of the brain. And so, or um, lack of oxygen, inflammation of the brain, which is a condition called schizencephaly, which is one of the uh, groups that I lecture for free um, because these children are in such severe shape because of the, the, you know, the cards that were dealt to them. Anyway, these conditions lead to long-lasting functional impairment um, due to the inflammation in their brain and cell death, which leads to brain lesions. And so as a result of all of this, in the past, we've discussed the endocannabinoid system and how we produce cannabis in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And we have receptors in our bodies that work on, you know, cannabis works on these receptors. And by working on these receptors, it helps with nerve damage. It prevents toxicity in the brain. It helps regulate inflammation in throughout the body, but specifically in the brain. Okay. And as a result of that, Chris and I have discussed this on the last show on how this works so well for controlling inflammation. I have a question for you. Um, I heard that there's no current human studies being done right now. What can you say about animal studies for this type of brain injury? Great question. Um, There have been some results from mice and pig models that demonstrate that CBD can reduce the density of the tissue the dead tissue in the nerves that regulate like inflammation um, processes in the brain. So CBD does support this quite well. Nice. Uh, We're we're running out of time, but I mean, I have more questions. I want to know about the neuroblasty. I don't think I said that right. Well, we'll discuss the neuroblastoma on our next episode. There we go. That sounds good because I want to know a little bit about that, understand about it. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this uh, segment? Well, as usual, we will give our contact information, and that is info at josephrosadomd.com. That's info at josephrosadomd.com. And chris at cannabidiollife.com. Chris at cannabidiollife.com. Our thoughts and prayers again to our brother Chris Visser and his family. And Ed, we will be uh, on the air next week. Looking forward to continuing our conversation on neuroblastoma, cannabis, and uh, other issues pertaining to the use of cannabis and children. Great. Sounds good. I hope you have a, a very good day, and my prayers go to Chris again. Until next week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Medicata Talk. Please join Dr. Joe Rosado for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you'd like to learn more about medical cannabis, we invite you to go to Amazon.com to purchase Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Have a great week.